the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Because the time is near. So what Jesus has conveyed to John and what John has conveyed to the seven churches in Asia, seven literal churches in a real Roman province, and what God has preserved and transmitted down through the ages via the scriptures to us is something that we need to understand and apply, to pay heed to, to keep, to obey. Why? We need to do so with urgency because the time is near. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall the mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Oh, nothing is impossible Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today in the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 1. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. We are, as many of you know, in a series on the book of Revelation, not a series that's to be taken lightly, uh, and we continue that series. This is our third uh, message of introduction to that series. These first three messages have been all introduction as we have sort of worked our way through Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Our series is entitled Future Grace. Future Grace, the Apocalypse of John. Our message title today is Lost. And the the subtitle, if you will, is uh, Using the Right Compass or Using a Reliable Compass. And our passages that we're going to be in today primarily are Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, and 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, our first message, which was just verses 1 through 3, had a very simple, very simple thesis, and that was Revelation should be for a believer, one of the happiest books in the Bible. It should bring us joy, not fear. It shouldn't scare us, and we shouldn't be distracted by what we read. We should read it to understand it and apply it. And we gave you three reasons why Revelation is a happy book, is a book that encourages us. 
And the first reason we gave two weeks ago was its purpose. Its purpose was revelatory and preparatory. God in his love is not leaving us in the dark, but this is the revelation that God has given Jesus, who gave it to John, who has given it to all of us, so that we can be ready for the days ahead. The second reason that we gave was the nature of the book of Revelation, which is prophetic. It is prophetic, uh, clarifying. Uh, John was to write about all that he saw, and blessed is the one who reads and who hears the words of the book of this prophecy. It is prophetic. It is a book that sort of ties up all the themes of the Bible in this one last glorious chapter of the Bible that is the book of Revelation. And so it is a clarifying book, not a confusing book. A lot of times you'll see a symbol and it'll say like the seven lampstands, which are, is the church, which are the churches. So it's not a confusing book. It should not be. There are things that are harder to understand, but we call those sometimes shiny objects that distract us away from the flow of thought that is found in this wonderful, wonderful book. The third reason we talked about was its effect on those who read it, those who embrace it, those who study it, and that is uh, that it brings blessing and peace of mind. You see that in verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and keep what is written in it because the time is near. God is gonna wrap up redemptive history. All the terrible things that are happening in the world will not continue indefinitely. And we are blessed if we live out our lives with a sense of holy urgency, redeeming the time, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, training them to do all that Christ has commanded. The the next sermon was through uh, verses four through seven, and it was entitled, A Letter. And it was subtitled, How Then Shall We Interpret? And we talked about the need to take the words seriously and to uh, understand that this is a letter, an epistle. It has what we call an epistolary structure. John to the seven churches, grace and peace. It's a letter written to be understood. It's a letter written to seven literal churches from a literal man, John. It is about a literal, a real savior who came to earth and really died for our sin, who purchased us literally with his blood, with his death on the cross, and who literally rose again on the third day, and who is, as promised, coming again in the clouds, as he talked about in Acts chapter 1. And so we understood that epistles are not poetic. They are didactic. They are written to convey truth, truth that is to be understood by the reader, And in that age, you had slaves and slave owners in the church. You had laborers and tradesmen and aristocrats, and this letter was written to be understood by them. And it therefore should be understood by us, and it should be taken seriously. These things were written to conceal, not to confuse, to clarify, to prepare us. Now, we understood, as we've talked over the last two messages, that different people approach this epistle in different ways. Some take it literally. Some see it as a, as a, as a they spiritualize the text selectively. Some parts of the text they take literally, some parts of the text they don't. And we understood that if we're not careful, we can divide over stuff like this. 
And that's not what we want to do. And so we ask ourselves, how is the best way to approach this book? And as we saw, it is a literal book to be taken literally. Now that doesn't mean that we don't see turns of phrase or figures of speech or idioms or word pictures. I mean, Jesus used word pictures and he taught literally, right? We talked about this many, many times before. When he said, I am the door, he meant he literally was the door into the sheepfold. He wasn't saying that he had hinges or a doorknob or a locking mechanism. We talked about this the last two weeks. When he said, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, how I've long desired to gather you under my wings like a mother hen does her chicks. We understood he was serious about that. We are to take that literal, literally, but we are, we are to understand that we're not to read it in some kind of wooden way to say that he's claiming to have wings. We, we read with a natural reading of the text using common sense. And we want to follow the text wherever it leads us. It's like a compass that cannot lead us astray. You know, you can take a GPS today and punch in the wrong address and end up precisely at the address that you punched in in the wrong place. You can be precise but inaccurate. The Bible is not like that. If we ask ourselves, what does the text say? What do those words say? What do those words mean? And how then shall we live? The Bible as a reliable compass will guide us to the right place. As we make observations about what we read, as we interpret what we read, and as we apply what we read. There might be some difficult phrases from time to time. There might be a symbol we're not as familiar with. But if we follow the flow of thought, if we follow the discourse, it will take us on the right path. And that's the emphasis of this introductory series of messages. And so today we come to today's texts, and there are two. Revelation 1.3 and 2 Timothy 2.15. We just finished a study of 2 Timothy, right? And so I just want to read these two passages to you, and we'll get into the message. Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep and who keep what is written in it for because the time is near. So what Jesus has conveyed to John and what John has conveyed to the seven churches in Asia, seven literal churches in a real Roman province, And what God has preserved and transmitted down through the ages via the scriptures to us is something that we need to understand and apply, to pay heed to, to keep, to obey. Why? We need to do so with urgency because the time is near. Each day that we march forward is a day closer to Christ's return and we want to be found faithful. It's one day closer to the end of the age and we are closer and closer than I think we've ever been in a long time. 2 Timothy 2.15 sort of harmonizes with what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And it even gets back to Revelation 1.3 because remember the Bible is one giant book and it has a common theme and thread throughout this book and everything fits together and harmonizes. And 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, 
Why? Rightly handling, some translations say rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly understanding and applying the word of truth. Which brings us to James Roscoe. James Roscup was uh, my academic advisor in seminary, and the academic advisor at least, of at least one other individual in the room, I believe, Pastor Paul. And he was kind of a serious man. He was a no-nonsense guy. He was kind of soft-spoken. And he, you had to turn your papers in on time. If you turned them in late, you, you lost a letter. He couldn't stand people being late, couldn't stand any of that. He had two doctorates, one from Dallas, one from Aberdeen. He was a gifted writer. Uh, He used to relax by writing westerns when he wasn't teaching in seminary and things like that. Uh, Presented the gospel to Louis L'Amour, the famous western writer. Years and years and years and years and years ago, Dr. Roscoe had a date. And he was excited about that date and he planned and planned and planned and planned about that date and he wrote the address down and he got in whatever kind of car he had at the time and he drove over the girl's house. He got there two minutes early because he can't stand being late and he is a man of great precision. And so he comes in and he knocks on the door and the mother opens the door and she kind of, you know, seems that maybe surprised to see him. So he sits there and they begin talking and talking and talking. And 20 minutes, 30 minutes pass and he's starting to you know, get a little edgy, you know, because he's a, he's a man who's very precise. After about 40 minutes, he's starting to get a little irritated. Can't imagine why. And so they're talking, and he's just getting really uptight. And then she says, you know, I, I believe Martha, I told Martha you were here, and she should be down shortly. She's just a little behind. And he goes, Martha? I'm here to see Mildred. Wrong house. (laughs) Right neighborhood. He copied the address down wrong, carefully mapped out the route to that house, and went to the wrong house in the right neighborhood. Mercifully, he corrected himself, recovered, went and picked up Mildred. I think they were married for about 60 years, so apparently she's a very forgiving woman. (laughs) But that's Dr. Roscup. And there's an object lesson there. And it's this. No matter how precise you are, if you start out in the wrong place, you're going to end up in the wrong place. And there are two schools of thought for interpreting the Bible. One is to interpret the Bible through the lens of, of your theology to make sure that you're understanding the text correctly based on systematic theology. And the other one is to interpret the Bible based on what it says and let it develop your systematic theology. Let me show you. I have a picture here and a slide that might help. And in this slide right here, there is a school of thought that starts with systematic theology that tests your understanding of what you're reading through what you already know. And then you, you develop your whole interpretive process all the way up to application, which we call practical theology. There's a problem with that, is you're letting your theology determine what the text means. 
And if your theology is wrong, it's going to shape your interpretation and your application in a similar way. And that's why we like to say, what does the text say? What do the words mean? And how then shall we interpret and apply? Because our theology will arise from that process. And it's a safe compass. We don't want to be like Jim Rosscup. He almost missed Mildred, his wife of 60 years, because he was so precise, but he started at the wrong place and ended up in the wrong place. Now, where does all this kind of interpretive process come from? It comes from seminary textbooks. Uh, Here's one. Uh, When I was getting my doctorate, I had to read this cover to cover because my doctorate is in preaching and interpretation and application, expository preaching. This is a fine book from a fine seminary. It just starts in the wrong place. And so what it does is it teaches you, if you look even at the title at the bottom, it says exploring the hermeneutical triad, that's the interpretive trinity, through history, literature, and theology. In other words, tradition. And we want to be very careful of that. This is a textbook used by about 80% of the evangelical seminaries today. And that's a problem. Because you're starting, you've written down the wrong address, and you're headed, you might end up in the right neighborhood, and most of these people do, but you don't get to the right house the first time probably. Now, mercifully, uh, this is a fine textbook, and it does talk about how to interpret the text and things like that, but there's been a shift in evangelicism, and this isn't a giant one, but it, could, it does have consequences. I'll give you an example. I talked to a young guy a few years ago who was, study, who was uh, interviewing uh, somewhere, and we were talking about preaching, and he wanted to be a senior pastor one day. And we were talking, and, and I had just finished my doctorate and done my dissertation and was recovering. And we started talking, and he says, yeah, what I do is I come at the text through my personal theology. And it determines how I develop the sermon and preach the text. And I was shocked. But then as I discovered, he, he used this textbook. The method that has been around pretty much since the time of Jesus is the one I'm about to show you. It looks like the other one, but there's a slight differential. And that is at the bottom here, you start with the text. And then you apply your interpretive process and that develops your biblical theology. And systematic theology is sort of an artificial thing where you take what you learn from each book of the Bible and you organize it around a theme. But the method that we use is we start with the text, not with tradition, not with our own theology. We come to the Bible to read from the Bible how we ought to change our thinking, our living, and if necessary, our theology. And this is the approach that we'll be taking with the book of Revelation. What do the words say? Call this observation. What do the words mean? Call that interpretation. And how then shall I live? Call that application. Because you can be very, very precise and very, very inaccurate. And you can repeat the same mistakes all over again. So our compass are the scriptures. That's what our compass is. Our compass is the scriptures.
Now, the good news is that even with that textbook, it'll get you in the neighborhood and you're not going to misunderstand salvation or anything else. So how problematic are the two different Protestant, if you want to call it that, interpretive processes? Is it necessarily fatal or harmful? No, it isn't. But it's not necessarily good either because when you have a compass, if you're off three degrees in either direction, way down the road, you can be way off. Three degrees might be 20 feet off in a mile, but in 100 miles, it might be 20 yards. In 1,000 miles, it might be 20 miles. And so I want to give you some examples. I want you to work through this because as we understand the book of Revelation, understanding how to approach it, what does it say, what does it mean, what do we do, This is a word, this word is in a sentence, the sentence makes up a paragraph, a paragraph makes up a flow of thought, a flow of thought, a big idea. I I want us to understand the value of letting the text speak for itself and speak to us. So Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 is a great example of where these three processes go in different directions. And in Revelation 21 through 3 we read this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, some translations say the abyss, and shut it up and sealed it over him so that, so that, for the purpose of, he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. What does the text say? What does the text mean? What are we to take away from that? Well, there are interpretive approaches that see this as purely allegorical. A thousand years doesn't mean a thousand years, it means a long time. Or spiritual. Uh, It depends on which compass you're using. One view sees Satan as literally bound and as the text says unable to deceive the nations for a thousand years some would call this the millennial the millennialist or the futurist view another view holds that the millennium is not a literal thousand years but is the current ongoing age in which we live today the ongoing rise of God's kingdom and not a literal time frame Uh, It began with the destruction of the temple at 30 AD, uh, excuse me, at 70 AD, and is ongoing. This is called the preterist or the partial preterist or a millennial view. Satan's activity is curbed but not nullified for a period of time. He's not prevented. And that's kind of tough because the text kind of says he's put in in the pit so he can't deceive. There's a third view It says that we are living in an era that is evolving into a golden age where we will make the world mostly Christian and at the end of this glorious time when peace and justice begin to reign worldwide as the world gets better and better and better and better, at the end of that time, as we make the whole world Christian, Christ will return to rule in person. That is called the historicist, historicist, or the post-millennial view. Satan's power is ever decreasing as a golden age evolves and develops. Three very different interpretations, none of which would seem to keep anyone out of heaven, 
Sometimes it divides churches and the people of God. But here's the problem with that. Just like the wrong information will keep you from the right house in the right neighborhood and late for a date, we want to be accurate in our handling of God's word. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.